Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. We all know the cry room too well at church, the place we don't want to go. But feel we have to because of our situation. As Catholic families, many parts of our life can feel like a virtual cry room. We're stuck and don't know how to get out. Host Joe Holt and John Cox will discuss these current challenges affecting today's families. And provide practical solutions so you are no longer stuck in the cry room. Hello and welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. John and I are so happy that you're joining us today. Hopefully, we've got a great topic of conversation. At least for us in the pre-show, we kept talking about it. We had to cut ourselves off. So I think that that means it's going to be a great topic of conversation. And there might actually even be some like boxing gloves. Oh, good. Do you think so? No. No? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I was listening again uh, last night to our last podcast that we did on gratefulness. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm so happy that we did that topic. Are you grateful that we talked about gratitude? I was so grateful that we talked about gratefulness and gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, theme is continuing and I hope that it is stirring in the hearts of everyone that's listening here on our podcast. And if you haven't had a chance, had a time to go and listen to that episode, I really encourage you, especially during this time of the summer coming out of COVID um, and some things that are just happening around us in the world as well, especially that unfortunate Miami condo collapse, which is just so saddening and and to hear about the things that people um, were experiencing the day before. Now I'm hearing the stories too about um, some of the victims and um, you know that they flew in the night before. So they were only in the building for a matter of hours oh, wow. before something happened. Or then the story of the uh, grandparents um, who are in the building and the loved ones are keep receiving phone calls from them. Really? Yeah, like the phone keeps ringing, and then when they pi- when the answer voicemail picks up, or if they pick up, it's just static on the other end. Wow! It's very eerie. Like, are they dialing the phone, and the phone's doing that, or is it the phone, you yeah. know, company that's the last number they called, and that's what's? Ha- I don't know. There's all these mysterious things, you know, and well, well we have to why, lean on our faith so much. This is why we need to pray for them and their souls, and hopefully they're in purgatory and requesting our prayers because um or hopefully some are still alive yes just hope for that even everybody wants a story i think of of the one person that comes out from the rubble and is alive and can tell us a story about what they experienced and um but i just my heart breaks for for that family and and more importantly because you know we're leaving to go on vacation and I'm going to be in a hotel that's on the beach and so the conversations we keep having is should we ask the manager about the building inspection? Is that going to be okay for us to get in that building? But anyway, so um, why don't we open up in prayer? Sure. And, and that includes praying for all of them as well. Yes. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love, your mercy, your kindness. We give you thanks for the gift of life, for the gift of your love, for the gift of joy. We ask in your son's name for all those who have died recently, especially in the tragedy, in all tragedies, that you show mercy upon them, that they may be judged in mercy, in love, in compassion, receive the gift of purgatory, and that they may receive the comforts of prayers through us, particularly through the Mass. 
We ask in a special way from all those who have been astray from your love, your mercy, come back home and see your love and be embraced by it. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So it's no surprise to anyone who is listening, or if you've been following our podcast for the past you know, season, now mm-hmm. going into our second season, mm-hmm. that you and I are parents of teenagers. Yes. Right? And not, and not all of your kids are teenagers, right. but all of mine, actually, I don't, my 20-year-old, I can't say he's a teenager anymore. No. Darn it. Okay, so that means I've got two teenagers and like a 20, a young adult. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. There has been so many times um, within our their upbringing mm-hmm. that we as parents have been just at the brink. Like we have just been so frustrated. <laughs> I, I've been uh, gr- like gray hair came in very early. Oh yeah, I've been dyeing my hair for five years. Are you serious to get rid of gray hair? And you're only in your twenties. <laughs> oh, you're so. <laughs> my that wife is taught the sweetest me that. thing that no, you no, have Mandy, said. <laughs> Mandy taught me that. Like I just I'm learning. It took me 15 years no. to figure that out. <laughs> But I'm still young in my 40s. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, I didn't think I would be growing gray hair until my 50s, maybe mid 50s yeah. and beyond. But have it start yeah. early 40s? Yeah. I mean, does Mandy have gray hair? No, of course she doesn't. I'm not answering that question. <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. Uh, we do, probably, we do, we do, we do put it this way, we do, I do have to pay a monthly payment of hair dye once a month. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can tell by looking at my beard, it's not for me. <laughs> okay, so I think this is like teen parent syndrome. I'm just going to call it that. Because I think without those teenagers, I probably would never have to dye my hair. I think it would just, life would just be like hunky-dory. Oh, you would take on other stress. And, and reala- No, not really? as much as this. I, I mean, are you serious? What, what, what other stress could there be? Well, you okay. work for the church. <laughs> well, that's true. I did have my share of that. But no. Okay, so we've just been challenged so much. And I don't know if any of you listeners have teenagers or maybe you have young kids and you have no idea what is coming up in front of you. No, it doesn't matter what age. So it- <laughs> I mean, that's what's so interesting in our culture. No matter what age our children are yeah. as parents, we are horrible people. That's what this culture and society says. Like, you're not doing it right. You got to do it this way. It doesn't, like, even when they're in kindergarten, oh, you got to do this, this, and this, or they got to meet these metrics and statistics, and they got to meet this level. I mean, standardized testing and all that stuff. And uh, so, I mean, from the very going, even when they're babies, right, what happens? Oh, you're not feeding your child, right? You don't have the best car seat. So the minute the baby comes out of the womb, we're automatically bad parents, according to the culture and society. It feels like in that pressure of we got to keep up with the Joneses. If we don't do everything for this child, they're going to come out screwed up or messed up or anything like that and i think this is the hard part is that we the more we put our time and energy doing what the culture says and the society says of how to raise our children the more anxious and stressed we get out because it doesn't work well or as dr ray grundy said in our book study that we did in mm-hmm. the last season um yeah. you know it's the more that you adapt yourself to the culture the further you're moving away from your faith yeah and, and, and what we should be doing as parents. So you can't use the culture as the, as the norm uh, for what you should be doing as a parent. But I will say that as parents, it's really, I think that there's a lot of high expectations that are placed on us. Oh, unrealistic expectations. Very unrealistic. And, and if you didn't come from a very solid family and upbringing. Well, even if you did. You have to learn how to do all of this stuff without any guidance or direction. Yeah. So you can't help but to lean on the culture right. for some direction. And the culture's in your face all the time now. Oh, for sure. And I, th- I think that's, that's the hard part. When you and I grew up, 
like FOMO, you, you know, the, the fear ex- of missing out. Fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So you and I experienced it to some degree when we were home on the weekends, had no friends, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'd hear on Monday morning, oh, like yeah. all the parties and stuff that went that, on. That you weren't invited right. to. Right. Yes. But what happens after Monday by Tuesday, you're kind of over it. Here, it's constant. It's basically when you're on YouTube, Facebook, or whatever, these kids are on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All it is, is 24 hours of missing out. You're missing out on this. You're missing out on that. You're missing out on this. Every advertise, every broadcast, everything says you're missing out and you're not doing a good job, that you are worthless and this and that and the other thing. I mean, it's killing our culture. It's killing our society as such. Exactly. And we're only human. So when you are exposed constantly to the FOMO, the fear of missing out, you know, you have... That's an epidemic. You have a lot of... There's a lot of pressure, you know, to do certain things. And because of that... um, You can commit to nothing. Our kids make a lot of bad decisions. I was going to say another word. (laughs) I'm trying to be more sensitive, but they make a lot of bad decisions. And you're right. It doesn't start necessarily in their teenage years. I just think that in their teenage years, the decisions that they're making have a heavier bearing well, this on is their the, life. Well, this is the thing. They're making, they're, they're still emotionally and intellectually children, we will say. Right. With adult consequences. And that's a, that's a very thin mm-hmm. line to walk and trying to be a teenager. Of course, you and I went through the same thing. It's a very thin line to walk. You know, like you get your license. That's great. But now you get in a car accident. Now you're dealing with adult consequences. Right. Um, so that's that's the hard part is, but at the same time, when we live in a culture that, ha- that promotes spiritual immaturity or emotional immaturity, um, it's hard. You have to grow up faster and, and it's a slap in the face. It's a shock to their system. And, and I think as, as parents, there is particular moments when some of those decisions are, are big deals. Um, or they well, yeah, it's not, that's the hard part. If you think, well, you know, teenagers are always going to disagree with their parents. Yeah. They may quote unquote disagree, like but act on it. I, yeah. Oh, not <laughs> even that, but, but the point is I don't have a problem with disagreement. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is the fact that they're probably wrong. And now when I say that, it's not because I'm old. I don't understand what's going on out there. It's because I understand what's out there, because I understand the culture, because I understand all this. That's why I'm so concerned about what's happening, what decisions are made and things of that nature. Well, yeah. I mean, as parents, we we know the consequences. We know what is going to happen based on that decision. We can already predict it. And, and we're not psychic. Yeah, we're I prophets. Mean, we, yeah, we're all prophets. I mean, we know what's going yeah. to happen. But our kids don't because, like, as you said, they're intellectual actual maturity is not there yet right they're just thinking about the the moment and the action yeah, and the gratification that they get out of the decision right. but not what happens like 10 minutes an hour a day right. after that decision right. is made and so for us as parents like i will speak on behalf of myself and marty we live on pins and needles a lot yeah. you know because like we're just like gripping anything we can because we know what they just did and now we're just waiting for it to fall yeah. how is that going to fall and how's it going to affect us now as parents in this decision i know it kind of makes me think of the anxiety the father had in the prodigal son yeah like we never hear that part of the story so we all know the story of the prodigal son right the son takes his stuff leaves comes back well i think just i don't want to assume that everybody knows the story most people do go ahead okay so uh yeah you have the father luke chapter 15 you have the son who says you know i want an inheritance so the father gives him his two sons two sons gives Mm -hmm. him the inheritance the son takes it, squanders it in a foreign land. 
okay, ends up with nothing, ends up eating the pods of swine. So we know he's in a foreign land because Jewish, Jewish tradition, they didn't eat pork or, or pig, whatever. So he's in a foreign land, poor, serving the Gentiles, so to speak, eating pig slop, right? And he's, he hit rock bottom, basically. And because of that, it was an awakening. And as it says in scripture, he came to himself. He had an epiphany. And he realized, hey, if I just humble myself, and that's the key word is humble, humility, and just work for my dad as a servant, I'll be much happier. So he comes back in a much more humble position. And, of course, the father comes running out to him, gives him a ring, they have a fatted calf, all that. And the son's welcomed back. After that, we see the son who's been faithful the whole time, and he's jealous. So now he's struggling with the sin of envy, thinking, I've been faithful the whole time. And the father says, everything I have is yours. And, of course, I love it because Jesus doesn't finish the story. You don't know how it ends up because we're all the prodigal son. And what's very interesting, the story of the prodigal son is really about Adam. Adam and Eve, Adam, and that we're all that. So we're all the prodigal son in some way, shape, or form. You know, Adam sinned. We inherit that. We went away from the Father. And then, of course, hopefully sometimes in our life we have an epiphany, realize that we're eating pig slop, which is called, which is sin. We have this epiphany through God's grace. We turn around and come back in humility and come to the Father, which he comes out and embraces us. Or we're like the other son who's like, well, I've been faithful the whole time. And um, I get this, 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 this. I mean, he still had a hardness of heart. This is the hard part is that when we encounter God or have these God experiences, and I was telling my children this, there's only two things you can do. Either A, embrace it, or B, have your heart become harder. And I think this is what happens is that here we are trying to provide our children with these opportunities of God, but as they have free will and as they choose to live or not live in sin, either their hearts are going to become harder and that's going to separate our relationship from them or they're going to have a conversion of heart and that's going to bring us closer but there's no mediocrity and i think that's the hard part as parents especially when they're older and teenagers i struggle with this i just want to be mediocre like i don't want to deal with it i don't want to know what's going on in our lives i want to be ignorant of it so i don't have to deal with it and that's not good parenting at all and it's tiring. It's, it is it's, tiring. It's so exhausting. But I think you brought up a really great reflection right. or a, a topic of reflection in this. And that, it, and that is really thinking about the father in yeah. this situation. Um, you know, the first part. Well, it's, go ahead. I was going to say that the first part in this is that he's got a son that is demanding an inheritance that he knows he's going to, the consequences, so, he's going to go and spend it and leave. Right. So let me, let me add that that's, I found this was very interesting. I was reading this in a book. Uh, so when it, the son says, I want this stuff. Right. Okay. The word they use is usia, which means substance. The very substance of the father is what the son asks. Okay. But the father in his wisdom doesn't give him the very substance, his very being to the son. He gives the word is be of, which means stuff. So, here, it, the son is one substance, so to speak, one with the father. And what we mean by that is a perfect relationship. The son then says, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. I want stuff. And so the father gives him material things. Now, when you squander material things, what happens? You always run out. Mm -hmm. So this is what happens is that 
here's the son in a perfect relationship with the father, one with the father, this perfect, what they use, Usia, the substance, so to speak, right? And he sells out for something lesser. He sells out because he wants stuff. And you think about like as parents with our teenager, teenage mm. kids, oh my gosh. we have a great relationship with them. Right. And yet they sell that out for stuff, for phones, for social media, for clothing, I- clothing, for, yeah. or just for ideologies and principles that, that aren't true or aren't real. And so you see this even with our own children who are teenagers. It's the same thing. Like we have a loving relationship with them, I hope. And yet they give that up for lesser things and we give that to them. We have a great relationship, but guess what? I'm going to give you your cell phone and you're going to use it however you want. But this is the key. If we do that, it may not necessarily be bad. Hopefully through that, they'll begin to realize, I don't want this. I had something better before with my parents, my family. The cell phone, the social media, the the whatever, video games, I don't care, whatever it is, is insufficient. But this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and realizes like, okay, I've spent 12 hours playing video games on my Xbox. You know, hopefully at some point their conscience is pricked and they realize I want something better than this. At least that's what happened for me when I was a teenager. I was like, is this it? This is the meaning of life is pleasure in this and that and so I asked the hard questions, and I think this is the hard part, is do teenagers ask those hard questions? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, not mine. No. <laughs> I think mine try to. Right. I, I, I but think, they're afraid of the answer. Well, yeah. I mean, the answer isn't what they want. You know, like... The stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The like stuff. They know what they want versus what they should be content with or what they should be grateful for. Um, But there's a gap between them. And yet because of their peers and the influences of society, they gravitate towards like those wants. And then afterwards it's like, I feel like it's that, that dog in the movie up squirrel. You know, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it is, like squirrel. You know, I, yeah. and my kids are the same way. And, you know, and I see them make these decisions. You know, we try to even provide many times warnings. Hey, if if you do this, you know what the consequence could, could be of that. Do you understand that it's this? Okay, great. They make the decision anyway. Well, this is the and hard then, part. And is then that, they come back and they're like, you know, you're right. But this, this is, is the hard part is yeah. that we live in a culture and society that takes away those bad negative consequences. We can't teach our kids to do X, Y, and Z based on the consequences because what happens? Well, we'll do X, Y, and Z. We don't care about the consequences or we, we there's ways to get rid of those consequences, right? And so we'll keep living like this. I mean, this is the hard part. Like, let's say, for example, I say, okay, uh, don't do drugs. And someone goes and does drugs. Why don't do drugs? Well, because you'll end up in the gutter. You'll be homeless. You'll lose your life, right? You'll All these bad consequences. Oh, but not me. Right. No, all these bad <laughs> consequences. But guess what? There are people who are rich, who have a great life, who do drugs. Exactly. You know, so yeah. you can't base things upon the consequences. And this is one of the problems is that. They're playing roulette is what roulette. they're doing. Yeah. yeah, they might or may not be. Mm-hmm. But this is the whole point is that it's called consequentialism. And it doesn't work because if you get rid of the consequences, it doesn't matter. We need to teach our kids that right is right no matter what. And wrong is wrong no matter what, despite the consequences. And in fact, doing the right thing often has bad consequences. John, you're ruining my whole parent theory. Yeah, no. I've been doing this for years, for 20 <laughs> years, and now you're telling me that. <laughs> I'll tell you the reason why I do and that, I'll, the reason why I've done that is because growing up, 
you know, I didn't, I didn't have these conversations with my parents. Right. My relationship with them was based out of dependency, mm-hmm. not on like authentic love. Right. And because there wasn't the authentic love, there wasn't an exchange and conversation and relationship. So I never had someone to tell me or to guide me or to share their wisdom about don't do this because this will happen. Or I remember when I made this mistake and that, no one ever told me that. So I felt like that was missing so much in my life that when I, when we had kids, I really wanted to make sure that I was sharing that part that I missed mm-hmm. as as a kid growing up. But yeah, but I this is and this is only my opinion. I, I totally could be wrong about this. Conversations at that age, I don't know. I think actions speak louder than words. Like for me, right. I didn't have a lot of conversations with my parents either, and we, they were very good Catholics and everything. Yeah. How did I learn? I learned based, they, but they were active. I get grounded a lot. <laughs> I get caught and I get grounded a lot. So, you know, the consequences do matter. And I did learn to that degree. Um, you know, I don't know how many conversations. My wife is very much about having conversations, but usually it turns into a lecture from either of us because <laughs> this is what happens. When you have two parents who have theology degrees. Like, you know, we have our basically our session and the kids are just standing there like a, in the headlights like what happened <laughs> I would because say- because the hard part is they haven't thought it through so it's like what do you think about this like i don't know what do you think about that i i, I don't know no and it, honestly they probably don't know they were like uh it felt good so i did it and you know like- well here here's here might be a really great I- example uh right. i remember when my daughters were uh were young maybe about I don't know, is it like five to seven, somewhere in that age, I went with them to a store, a local store. Yeah. Um, the child had asked me if they could have this chapstick. I said no. So the child put the chapstick in their pocket and walked out the door. And yeah. then we went home. And then when we got home, I went into the child's room and they scrambled to put something underneath the pillow. And I said, what did you just put underneath the pillow? Found out it was the chapstick. So the child begins to cry and sob to me about how they really wanted the chapstick because I said, no, they took it, but they don't know what to do and they know it was wrong. And so I I made my child go back to the store. I should have did that. and, And tell the person, I'm so sorry. Because the apology wasn't to me that mm-hmm. needed to happen, it in my opinion. It yeah. was to them because they took something that belonged to the storekeeper. Right. But here's where I was really mad as a parent. So the child went to the storekeeper as instructed, yeah. said, I, I'm sorry, I wanted this, and I took this, and I shouldn't have, mm-hmm. and I need to give this back to you. Right. That's when the storekeeper should have responded like the father and the prodigal son and just said, thank you so much. I really appreciate you telling me that Mm -hmm. and bringing it back to me. But instead that storekeeper came to me as the parent said, what kind of a child are you raising? You should have known better as a parent. You should have been watching your child. And and I'm like, hold on a second. I just drove 15 minutes from my house (laughs) to have my child return something and have a reconciliation moment with you. And you ruined it. How is my child going to ever but do this see, again? But you still did the right thing How? despite the consequences. <laughs> no. That's, you just proved my point. You still did the right thing despite, yeah. even though I had bad consequences of you getting chewed yeah. out. Yeah, but I don't think my kid is, they're like, well, heck, I'm not going to do this again if this is how it well, ends. Well, that's my point. <laughs> it's I mean, we base We base morality on our feelings and yeah. emotions and not on truth yeah. in our culture. So, uh, But I think, you know, back to the prodigal son, Yeah. you know, and you had opened up this 
opportunity for reflection about what the father was thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, as a father yourself, yeah. what do you think was going through his mind in, in, in that? Well, I mean, I've had, I had, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, some experiences, but I remember even for me, my teenage years, I've had, I was the partical son. We all have been a partical son sure. to some degree, you know, and, but my dad, my dad, God rest his soul, gave me the best advice I think I've ever taken with me. He said, he said, look, I'm always here for you. I always love you. I'll never leave you. But if you lie to me or hide anything from me, I can't help you. Oh. And that was the point is that in the prodigal son, like he took his stuff and left. Like he hid from the father. He ran away from the father. And so the father couldn't help him until the son had a repentance and came back. And, and that was the best advice my dad gets. So I knew that. If I try to handle things on my own, I'm incapable of doing that because we all have our inadequacies and we always need a higher power to help us. Well, in this case, being a teenager, I need a higher power, which is my parents, particularly my dad, who can help me when I got in a car accident and didn't report it and realized, oh, we need to, <laughs> oh, I need to report it. Okay. I mean, it wasn't a hit and run or anything, but it was, it was, I didn't know any better. I hid it from them. My dad figured it out, thank God. And so we took care of the situation appropriately. Um, but that's, that was it. Like, and the thing is what broke my dad the most is when he, I did something, I went out and I didn't tell him where I was. And I refused to tell him and it broke his heart because he's like, I want to help you and I can't help you. Um, but okay. So I have, a, I have a quick question because it was going through my mind mm-hmm. um, and, and I wasn't in your family. When your dad said that to yeah. you, did you also understand in his lesson that the lesson was that, but if you mm-hmm. come to me, right. And you ask for forgiveness right. or you, you know, we have reconciliation moment, then we can rebuild our relationship. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, if my dad said that to me, I would be like, okay, if I lie, I can't tell him about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll just keep going on. And then it, that can continues to drive a wedge, like between right. our relationship. Exactly. It does. I wouldn't have gotten the other side of that. Exactly. No. And that's the thing. And my kids have done not have not made the best choices but that's the key difference between the wrath of dad burning down the house and going (laughs) to defcon one versus a dad who's like all emotional and crying because the child is truly and genuinely repentant and sorry this is what happens is that every time we deal with these moral issues and come in contact we can see this as a great opportunity of grace because it's an open door for god to come in and grace to come in but what happens is this Every time we have these moments of conflict and, and tension between our us and our children, and we try to bring God into the situation, two things happen. Either their hearts become hardened or become softer, but it doesn't stay the same. And so what happens and what occurs is that when we encounter God, that's the thing. Once we see God for who he is and he reveals himself to us, either through a supernatural means, through miracles, or just natural means where we say, oh, I know God's here. There's no mediocrity anymore. And so for most teenagers, I think they're confronted with that either to say, I'm going to harden my heart even more and go down this path and eat the pig slop and the pods and everything and stay in a foreign country and whatever, or I'm going to have a little bit of humility. And it's all pride and humility. That's the thing. The prodigal son was all prideful and, and God totally he allowed him to humiliate himself. Like his choices led him to humiliation. And, but that's the thing as he, came to himself, he had, it went from pride to humility and saying, first of all, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of this father and I deserve better than this. I think most teenagers don't realize that they deserve better than what the world is giving them. 
Second of all, then he came back and saying, I'm not going to be the son. I'm going to be the servant. So he put himself last and was willing to be the servant. Okay. And he wasn't really repentant in the sense of like, oh, I broke a relationship with my dad. He was like, I just want to eat. (laughs) But I think repentance, you know, so it comes with humility. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. there is the humility. That's the point. So when God, we encounter God, that's what's going to happen. Either we're going to be humble and recognize, oh, yeah, this is wrong and go to confession or we just our heart becomes hardened, but we can't stay mediocre. Every time my wife confronts me with the truth, either our fight goes deeper and it gets louder because I'm too stubborn to admit I'm wrong or she's too stubborn. And so our hearts become hardened right? or our hearts melt and we just kind of shake our heads and say, okay, I'm sorry. And, and try to move on from there. And it's humiliating. I mean, there's, I don't know why it's so humiliating to admit, admit our mistakes with our, in front of our spouse of all people, you know, <laughs> I can do it in front of you all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but oh, thank you. Trying to admit it to Mandy is a different story. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just the depths of your love and right. that's how it is in our relationship with the father in heaven as well. You know, I mean, it's even though he sees and he knows all things, it's really hard to still go, uh, you know, to confession and, you know, in in front of a priest and and, and to be able to share these mistakes and these things that we've done because we know how much our love is and we don't we don't want to 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 make a greater, uh, you know, a break or separation in our relationship with the father. And I think for our kids. In, in, in some sense, they kind of feel the same thing. I would hope they feel the same well, way. Well, this is the point is that he, in his particle son, he's substituted a relationship with his dad with loose women. Sure. Like he traded out relationships. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But as a parent, mm-hmm. how do you respond? Well, the same with the father. This is the thing. The father, notice this, the father doesn't chase him into the far land. Like he lets him go. Like he lets sets, him make his mistakes. Yeah. And he's yeah. a clear line. Yeah. It, so it's not like the father keeps chasing him and say, okay, I'm oh, going to fix it. Oh, wait, but wait, but wait, but I'll me, do this. Let I'll me give this. you more money. Let me give you more money and support <laughs> you have it. Let me give you more money. Like yeah. the father was like, like, I'm not cutting you off. You're cutting yourself off. Yeah. But there was a very clear defined line. Right. And the father waited and waited and waited. But notice this. He didn't change. He didn't, he didn't change his standards. He didn't change his expectations. He didn't say, well, that's okay. You can eat the pig slop. Oh, that's okay. You can do it. Whatever. He never, he never no. allowed or said that what the son was doing was okay. And see, and I feel like our parenting style is not that. Right. It's not that extreme. Okay, just do whatever you want. Like there's no rules here and you could just choose whatever you want. Right. And we'll just continue to give you what you need. Right. I, I feel like what we're trying to do, at least for Marty and I, is we're trying to kind of be this bridge between that space and that we're we're telling them this is this is what is truth. This is what mm-hmm. you this is what you should do. This is how you should behave. Right. This is what the expectations and, 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 and what our faith says that we should do. Um, but, um, you know, like when you make these mistakes, we're going to let you know that you did them. We're not going to love you any less. And we're still going to be here for you. Right. But I think that we don't push them away either. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I, okay. This is, I think this is where parents fall into the trap of saying, well, you're pushing your kid away. No, we don't push our kids away. They're pushing themselves away. The father, yeah, that's the father is not, wasn't like the father was like, get out of my house. The father was like, I love you. I'm not going to change my standards, my expectations of you because I love you too much. And so notice it was all the son's doing, but the son didn't realize it. 
you know, it's like most people who it's we, it's easier to blame other people than to take responsibility. True. It's and especially with teenagers. That's like the oh natural. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. It's always the world's fault, the culture's fault, mom and dad's fault. We all go through that. It's our human nature. This is why we're all the prodigal son because we want to blame the father when it's not the father. It's our own doing. I think there are some parents out there, though, because I have witnessed it myself, mm -hmm. um, who who say who do push, who do push them away. They don't make it about like this was a choice. You knew what our position was on this. Right. You made this choice, so you chose, and your choice led you right. to exile. Right. Like that's where your choice right. led you. Um, where some other parents, I think, make the wrong right. decision, and and they don't say it wasn't your choice. Like I'm so mad at you because you did this. Go. Now it's more like about the parent right. instead of about the child. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the key is not to parent out of anger or frustration, right. but out of love. So the question is, right. why am I setting these boundaries? Out I do love. How do right. Do am I this? doing it because I'm taking a personal offense? I, this is yeah. both Manny and I have had this conversation where she's like, you know, the child does something wrong and it, she takes it very personal. Like they're out to get her. How can you not? I mean, like as a mom, well, that's just, the whole point. You just love your children. Yeah. And when they do, it just burns. Yeah. Well, this is where dads. It's like a sword, a dagger well, going well, in. Well, this your is heart. where usually dads step yeah. in, you know, good dads step in. I'm like, okay, look, they're just, they are who they are. I, that, that <laughs> and is, here's a boundary. Thank goodness for both parents because <laughs> yeah. there's been so many times that our kids have done something and yeah. I have been so distraught. Yeah. That Marty had to speak because, like, I was so broken yeah. by what took that took place. And, yeah. Um, so thankfully, he was able to kind of be get in there, be the voice of reason, be calm, you know, through all of that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, but a really good reflection on that, and uh, and we hope that you can utilize that reflection just in your own parenting. You know, perhaps with your spouse. Uh, it, you know, if um, your spouse is is available every day and isn't traveling constantly, even if they're traveling, really, you could still have those conversations, but get on the same page um, and, and look to the scripture for guidance and how the scripture can help you as a parent to get through these bumpy time periods, especially the teenage years. Yep. Right? So God bless you all. Have a great day, and we'll... Talk to you next time.